0: Welcome to the Reboot Podcast, we are so glad you're here.
1: Hey everybody, Andy Crissinger here, I'm the Director of Coaching at Reboot and we're here with another podcast extra. Today I have Jerry with me, hey Jerry. Hey there, how are you? Doing great, thanks, thanks for joining me today. We wanted to talk today about a topic that seems to have been coming up more and more in our conversations with clients. A couple of our coaches have noted this, and we thought this would be a great topic to explore today. It's the topic of doing planning together as a leadership team. And we were thinking about even the term collective planning to emphasize the fact that when leadership teams come together to plan, and that might be at the beginning of a year to set yearly objectives. It might be to set quarterly objectives and priorities. It might look like uh, a conversation readdressing strategy for a business. Anytime uh, a team, a leadership team comes together to do planning, we wanted to take a look at what are some of the best practices that we've observed and some of the pitfalls that we've seen our clients fall into when they're trying to do this well. And so this might be a bit of a meandering conversation. We're going to see where it takes us, but Jerry, maybe we can just get started with this, this question of, uh, pitfalls when you've worked with clients in the past and they've said, Hey, Jerry, I I've got this, I've got this meeting or this offsite coming up with my executive team and we really need to emerge. I'd really love for us to emerge with a coherent plan for this next quarter or this next year. What are some of the things that you start thinking about in helping that client be set up for success heading into those conversations?
0: Well, you know, in some ways my response is going to be typical reboot in the sense that the thing that I get curious about more often than not, like you just, you know, imitated a client asking, what's my plan? How do I do this? Yep. And what... I I often speak to, and I know you experience this as well, is that when a group, when a team moves too quickly to the structure, Mm. it more often than not is a signal of a kind of underlying insecurity and anxiety Mm -hmm. that may in fact be uh, uh, evidence of a lack of trust amongst Mm. the team. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean? It's like when a, a client comes to us and says, I'd like to do coaching and I'd like you to tell me how to hire people, how to fire people, how to do this, how to how, 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 how. And there's so much emphasis on the process of the planning mm-hmm. that they lose sight of the core uh, structures that are necessary for a successful planning endeavor, regardless of the methodology. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. So think about, you know, think about something as simple as what we do with a red, yellow, green Mm check-in. And I often joke when I teach red, yellow, green check-in, which is that moment of sort of checking in before a group endeavors to do anything. I often joke, imagine trying to do your whole planning session and three people in the room are in the red. Mm -hmm. Right. And everybody laughs because they've been there and they've done that. Mm -hmm. So I would argue that the planning process actually begins before the planning process. It begins in really understanding how well-functioning is that team? How well-functioning is that structure?
1: Does that align with your experience? Absolutely. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about this concept that now seems to be pretty widely used in the coaching and facilitation sphere, which is the idea of containers Mm-hmm. that we tend, to, uh, we, we tend to go right to content and not think about the quality or strength of the container. And so what I hear you saying is, before we decide what process we're going to use, if we're going to do an OKR structure or if we're going to adopt EOS or something like that, we need to be thinking about the quality of the container. Uh, the relationships among the team members who will be present uh, perhaps the unresolved or unaddressed tensions that are present. How much do we trust one another? Um, these sorts of things uh, need to be attended to. Yeah.
0: And if I can add to that, I'd say, what's the desired outcome? Yeah. You know, oftentimes we use annual planning on a collective basis as the uh, basis for uh, budgeting. Mm-hmm. And so fall starts to roll around. People start to get anxious, thinking about, you know, what are we supposed to do next year? How are we doing it? And all of that is a healthy, um, good experience. But if you go into that process, believing, for example, that the planning process itself is just performative, and that in the end, the CEO by themselves are going to make all the decisions then you're going to have one planning experience,
1: mm-hmm.
0: regardless of whatever methodology you use. Um, or if you go in with a tremendous amount of, as you pointed out, unresolved conflict or a lack of trust, regardless of the methodology, you're going to end up with a mess. And in fact, the tensions associated with planning exacerbate the underlying it's functions within the organization.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. Something that you just said got me thinking about, maybe we can just go in a, in a particular direction here. It got me thinking about clarity around constraints. You mentioned, mm. you know, the, the idea of, like, let's say we're going to bring the team together and we're going to do, you know, quote-unquote collective planning, and this is going to be a collaborative process. Mm-hmm. But if... The team feels like whatever we talk about here today kind of doesn't matter because the CEO is gonna set the objectives and decide what they want to what they wanna do coming out of this. Regardless of whether that's healthy or unhealthy leadership dynamic, what is happening there is there is a set of constraints on that process that has not been clearly named and identified. That's right. That's and right. so we have a sh- sort of a charade that's playing out in the room, whether whether the participants know it or not. And I think that's one way that I've seen teams really get in their own way around this is they' they're just not, in, not being clear with one another or someone's not being clear about what the constraints are
0: here. Yeah, there's, there, there's uh, it can lead to what we often see as a kind of collective individualistic sandbagging. Yeah what I mean. Right. So the CEO sets a top-down directive of 30% growth and you know some sort of number. Mm-hmm. And then hands that off to the vice presidents or their leadership team. And then everybody starts overestimating what resources they actually need, because they all know collectively they're going to be cut back.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: then the CEO or the decision makers are handed this mess and then they're told okay now we have to go back and everybody has to cut their projections by 10%, 15%, 20% and it's all kind of a waste. Yep. Whereas if you start off with okay what is it what are the set of objectives that we're really striving for? What is the ideal op, you know, the optimal outcome we're going for? A bottoms up you know reality driven objective with with a constraint that's clear you know you'll relate to this you know ceo says i want 40% profit margin on all of mm-hmm. our activity that's it mm-hmm. everything else in between is up to you right all of a sudden there's enough constraint and it's yes. set, set up at, in advance that the planning process isn't a waste of time. It's actually, it drives to a particular objective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: What about a situation where, so we've been talking a little bit about hypotheticals that imagine the CEO coming in with a strong view of, of, of something, right? Mm-hmm. What, uh, you know, a particular outcome that they're wanting to drive toward. Mm. What about the opposite? Um, I feel like I've seen this, a few times with clients and client systems. And it's usually where you have a, you have a a, a senior leader CEO mm-hmm. who perhaps really, really wants everyone else on that leadership team to be happy about the outcome of the plan. <laughs> and so then might sort of lean back a little bit in those conversations and that can create this sort of, um, stasis or, or stuckness, because everyone feels like the CEO really has a view here, but they're just not saying what it is. Have you seen that play out? And
0: in- Yeah, I think you're naming two different
1: uh, but
0: related uh, consequences. It's, it's when the person who has the most power in the room, this is a, a well-documented um, phenomenon, when the person in, who has the most power in the room starts to speak, everyone starts to orient themselves around that person. And so one of the leadership techniques, as you know, is to then lean back and let things happen. But that wasn't the full setup. The full setup, which made me laugh, was what happens when the leader just wants people to be happy? (laughs) (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and, And my little radar antenna went up And I said, uh, Mm -hmm. is Andy talking about a conflict avoidant person? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, that's a a terrific example of one of many in which conflict avoidance as an adaptive strategy growing up at a childhood Mm. really doesn't serve a leader well, doesn't serve a team well, Mm -hmm. right? And so let's reframe that. Because let's imagine, if you will, that one of our clients is a CEO and they're struggling with this right now. The way I might reframe that for a client is let's redefine happy
1: Mm -hmm.
0: to organic and productive. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Right? Okay, I didn't get everything I wanted. I'm the VP in this process. I didn't get everything I wanted, but I was respected. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, my objectives were clearly addressed i was treated with res- with with respect I, you know um and i can buy into the results even e- the outcomes mm-hmm. even if uh all the things that i wanted to get didn't happen mm-hmm. I, I, the, the the point is that By avoiding the conflict or by by focusing on the individual's happiness, you run the risk of having a mess of a process. Mm -hmm. Whereas by focusing on the healthy outcomes of a process, you may suffer the consequence of having an even higher functioning team where people are uh, putting aside their individual political agendas Mm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, subordinating those to the collective agenda, which yep. if you think about it is probably even more important than the answers to the questions that you're driving for in the planning
1: process to begin with. Mm. Could I get you to say that one more time? Because I think that's really important. Sure. If
0: you are willing to be brave enough mm. to push up against say, a, your impulse for, for conflict avoidance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to set aside making everybody happy and lean into the notion of making the process productive, the consequence may be not only do you have a good planning process, but you have a strengthened executive team
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that people at the end know that they didn't get everything that they thought they wanted But that the whole benefited greater than me as an individual member of that team. Right. The result is a higher functioning team. You can use planning not to uh, exacerbate the tensions and conflicts within the team, but actually to make the team even stronger at the end of the process, regardless of the outcome.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that brings up a topic that I wanted to, to ask you about, and uh, and let me see how to best set this up. Uh, I have had the privilege of facilitating lots of offsites with teams over the years. Some 100. of them, yeah, some of them uh, have been for the purpose of helping a team emerge with. Um, a, a, a strategy they can all get behind and, and then go actualize. Sometimes it's more related to these sorts of, you know, quarterly, yearly planning type, mm-hmm. um, endeavors. But regardless, I feel like one of the patterns I've noticed in teams doing any kind of collective work, collaborative work that matters and that's com- that's complex, um, there is this there's this period of time and it might last an hour it might last an entire day it might last two days where it just feels like they're trying to walk through quicksand mm. <laughs> and that sense of stuckness and should we do this no or should we do that and and sometimes it's because people disagree but often it's it's not because there's even you know it's not an advocacy war necessarily sometimes it's mm-hmm. just confusing should we do this? Should we do that? Or are we even talking about the right thing? And I have a I have a hunch or a, or a theory that I wanted to check out with you. I feel like one of the qualities of a highly functioning leadership team is the ability to hang in there through those times and mm-hmm. stay at it until we find we find breakthrough. <laughs> Mm-hmm. from that stuckness and i don't necessarily have the the perfect you know solution for how to get there but i but i have a general sense that it involves continuing to listen continu- continuing to to speak with clarity trying to hold one conversation at a time mm-hmm. trying to to move toward the areas of misalignment as opposed to evading them or talking mm-hmm. around them mm-hmm. but i'm curious if one um, have you observed that phenomenon? And if so, what is your take on that? And then mm. secondarily, what are some things that you would say to a leader that doesn't have a professional facilitator there to help, but is trying mm. to to lead a team through that period of stuckness?
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll tell a, f- uh, a story about when that sort of happened to me. I, I was also facilitating a, a planning session like that. And one of the things I noticed, it was about middle of day two. And I noticed a phenomena that every time we got to that murky, quick sandy place, somebody would make a joke. Mm. And all of the tension would be alleviated. And then we would move on. But we actually never made any decision. And there were like three major decisions that were just punted, and so by the third time this happened, I noted it. And the CEO puts his hands on his head. And he goes, "Oh my God, that's what happens to, on my fa- at my family when I was growing up. Every Sunday afternoon, it's like mm. the minute that something difficult was happening, somebody would make a joke and alleviate the tension." Right. I think that that. One of the, the things that I think can be really helpful is, and, and, and first I would say, yes, I've seen that phenomenon a lot. And I had a little bit of uh, uh, queasiness because I have actually been in the executive seat in those meetings and I mm. hate those moments, mm-hmm. right? But one of the things that I have found that can be really helpful is, uh, you know, you spoke before about setting up the container, is the setup on this. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that you've done this technique as well. Sometimes it's really helpful when gathering any group together to say, hey, listen, we're going to talk about things and we may not resolve them. Yep. And that's okay. Yep. And so you, in effect, give permission to the group to not resolve. Mm-hmm. This is related to the same phenomenon where you can sort of begin the process and you can say, okay, and as we've experienced before, there's this quick sandy moment that's probably going to emerge. And when it emerges, what I'd like us to do, whether I'm the facilitator or the leader in that group, what I'd like us to do is stick with it and perhaps put up on the board what our stated intentional values are
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so that when we're stuck, we can get outside of the problem. Should we go left? Should we go right? Well, our values tell us that we should always be moving forward. Okay, well, which direction moves us forward? All of a sudden, you have this other place to bring in some guidance in that moment. So that you have this, first of all, you normalize the experience so you don't say, oh, you know, we're so screwed up, right? We get into this process. But then you start to create the conditions where people start to name things and say, I can't stand it when we get stuck in this way. I wonder what it is. What's the fear, for example, that might be holding us back from making a choice? Yeah. Right? What's the sense of loss that may be holding us back from making a choice. And then you name those things in the context of what the values are. And hopefully it starts to move you forward. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, when I'm, when I'm with a team that's in that place and I'm sitting in a facilitator seat because I'm a neutral third party, it's very easy for me to actually get excited because I see that as a learning opportunity for this team. Mm -hmm. So if I can encourage them to pay attention to the unfolding that's happening in the room right now, not the, not necessarily the topic or the content or where we stand vis-a-vis this decision, but what's actually happening in the here and now, um, then there's an opportunity for the system to see itself Mm. and make different choices. Mm. I think, probably the challenge for the leader who's self-facilitating in a situation like that is they're probably pretty frustrated too. And Mm. so they might be resorting to all of the conscious or unconscious uh, approaches, tactics that they've learned to get unstuck, to help groups get unstuck. And that might be coercion. It might be evasion. It might be humor Mm. to diffuse the tension like you talked about. And so I think one of the things I'm curious if you'd add to this, one of the things I would encourage a leader who's trying to tend to a container in the context of a planning conversation is actually to, to begin to play with taking that, that different facilitative stance, which is for a moment, I'm going to pause the role that I'm playing, which is to drive the action forward. And I'm Mm going to turn into a mirror for us Mm. And I'm going to encourage us to see what's happening here. Hey, I'll just own, I'm frustrated. This Mm. is frustrating to me. I wonder if anyone else is feeling that. And I wonder what's going on right now.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I agree. And I, I would encourage the person who's frustrated to get curious about that frustration. In my experience, more often than not, it's a mask for the fear And the Mm. fear is, we're going to go into the new year and we're not going to have a budget. Well, that's not Mm going to happen. Or we're going to go into the new year and we're not going to know what we're doing. Well, you can have the most beautifully written plan imaginable and the team still Mm -hmm. doesn't know what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the fear uh, leads one to overemphasize certain aspects and underemphasize other aspects. Mm-hmm. And so when the frustration is showing up, if you can bear it, you then turn to the curiosity, as we often say, turn to wonder. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. that regard, you turn into curiosity and say, okay, what am I afraid of right now? Mm-hmm. I'm afraid we're going to spend a day and a half and leave without making any decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that likely? No decisions? All right. I'm, not, I'm afraid we won't make all of the decisions. All right. Well, what if you don't make 10% of the decisions? Is it terrible? Or can you come back? Is there a third day that's available? It's like these sorts of dialogue, which then encourage a kind of uh, healthier communication within the team. This is what I mm-hmm. meant before, you know, yeah. when I said before, you can use this process to strengthen the bonds of the team, and not just like doing trust falls, but really doing the work of communications within the team.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned decisions there, and I wonder if this might be a good a good place for us to go next, and perhaps we can we can bring this we, this can round out at least th- this version of this conversation. The the question of decision-making, mm-hmm. and as you know, there are all sorts of decision-making frameworks that are out there that have been uh, written about recently, Dacey, Racy, a variety mm-hmm. of others. Here's how you make decisions well inside of an organization. Here's how you bring uh, clarity to uh, a joint decision-making process. Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom and and value in a lot of those frameworks that are out all there. I agree. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if we were to sort of think um, maybe a level up from those specific frameworks, are there patterns that you've observed when you've been facilitating with an executive team or even perhaps you know, coaching one-on-one with a CEO who's struggling to do decision-making well collectively at the, at the executive or leadership team level? Um, are there patterns of challenge that you've observed that would be helpful for those listening to this uh, to hear and maybe reflect on in their own context?
0: I, I think so. I, I think that, that in my experience is probably very broadly speaking, two buckets of let's call it indecisiveness,
2: mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, whether it's at the individual level or at the group level. Um, There is the kind of indecisiveness that really stems from, uh, let's say, uh, an abundance of choices. Mm -hmm. I don't know which way we should go because I don't know um, how the world is going to unfold. And that's really rooted in discomfort with uncertainty, the the other bucket is similarly rooted in a discomfort, but it's um, uh, it to me it, it 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 manifests in that phrase of don't just sit there do something. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of uh, overemphasis on decision and action in the belief that not taking an action is somehow disastrous, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and and the result is it leads to a kind of indecision because then the then the feeling is, well, I can't make the wrong decision. And so there's a spinning going on. Mm. And I think if we talk about the latter for a second, I think that the work becomes... Um, part of that work that we might do with an individual coaching client, which is let's imagine the worst case scenario. Let's actually talk about the thing that you're so terrified is going to happen. Well, if Mm. I make the wrong decision about this product, then what's going to happen? Then what's going to happen? Then what's going to, can you handle that? No, I can't handle that. What, at what point can you handle it? Right. And so you start to work with the fear, which is leading to the indecision. In terms of the abundance of choices, that's where their use of constraints come in. Right. Right. And so, uh, and if we start to think about values, for example, that could be a constraining factor. Well, we could sell methamphetamines, but our values tell us not to. It's going to get me the 40% profit margin Jerry wants, but that's not how we do business. Okay. Right. Right, I mean, I'm joking, but but it all of a sudden starts to shape our way through the uncertainty. Oh, we do have things that we can be certain about. We are certain that we're not going to enter that business. Or if we entered that business, then we would be choosing not to be in this business. I don't know. Am I being clear with this?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think both of those... um, cases that you laid out to me seem like uh, different manifestations of perfectionism, which blocks the decision uh, right off the bat, because we can't make, we can't make the wrong decision here. Right. So we'll perhaps we'll deliberate and deliberate or, or, you know, we'll, we'll spin our wheels and not act. Um, But what about maybe one last One last case that I see play out, which is where we have multiple stakeholders, maybe members of the same leadership team who just struggle to agree. And Mm. so, you you know, this phrase that has been just, you know, now used all over the place in our industry, Mm. but the idea of disagreeing and and committing, Mm. we're gonna disagree and commit. Which I again I see some value and wisdom in, mm. in that. I also think I've seen that one probably used glibly and perhaps misapplied. Oh sure, and uh, applied to
0: mask a certain kind of passive aggressive
1: behavior. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah. 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 So maybe let's maybe let's end on that. Let's think about what what about when members of our team are really at loggerheads with one another? And here yeah, I am. A, I'm the CEO. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's a perfect example to understand what's at what's at, what's really behind the loggerheads? What's really yeah. behind the intransigent position, the mm-hmm. entrenched, it's my way or the highway position. Mm-hmm. You know, I would sort of pull back and say, okay, what do your values tell you about collaboration? What do your values tell you about exploration and possibility? when that notion of disagreeing commit is successful and healthy, what is it that you're committing to? You're actually mm-hmm. committing to the greater good mm-hmm. you're committing to the values within the team. So what what it's really when it's used in a healthy way, what it's saying is I'm, I, as a leader within this organization, know that what I think is right won't always be the choice that we make. Mm -hmm. But what matters more is the well-functioning of the whole, Mm -hmm. because I believe in the team. Mm -hmm. Even if the team makes a mistake, it's more important that the team work together than it is that the team exhibit that perfectionism you spoke about before. Right. It's like, yeah. wh- what what is more important? You know, I work with a lot of venture funds, for example. And uh, we're often talking about the internal operations and what they do. And I, what I say repeatedly to my clients is, your fund is your most important portfolio company. And they sort of pause because it's so easy to fall down a rabbit hole of thinking the work in front of me is the most important thing I have to do. But if we extend this to the full leadership team, no, the most important thing is the company, not my piece of the work. Mm -hmm. So congratulations, you got your way, but the company's well-functioning leadership team got destroyed in the
1: in in the fight. That's not success. Yep. Yeah, I maybe just a slight add to that, and I 100% um, cosign with everything you just shared. I think if if disagree and commit is being too glibly applied to uh, in the sake of expediency. Mm-hmm. And 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 bringing about action and closing debate, the risk that I worry about is that we have um, seeds of resentment that that can grow, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's this this idea that we can't actually if if disagree and commit also means we can have a way to share that disagreement, document that disagreement um, not, not continually hash it out or relitigate it, but just to be, to, to still be able to have healthy dialogue Mm -hmm. and to have times where we might revisit, revisit this predetermined, then I think it can be a great, a great principle. I worry about it being used to, uh, to, to close down discussion or debate. Mm. I don't know. Does that resonate for you as well?
0: Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's part of the larger theme here that we've explored, which is that uh, it doesn't matter what methodologies you use in these planning processes matters, matter less than um, the interpersonal dynamics and the way in which you strive to create a cohesion among the team. Now, in, in in your example of uh, of uh, of the your what you were adding to in the on the discussion and disagree to, and commit i would argue is a respect
1: mm-hmm.
0: right and what you're saying is um as long as um we may disagree you mm-hmm. and i andy but if you walk away saying but i was respected mm-hmm And I know that if I need to raise this as an issue again in the future, I can and I will be greeted with respect and trust. Then I'm fine with committing.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: In a similar fashion, we want to sort of bring in a blamelessness to the process here, Mm -hmm. which is I have to put a stake in the ground. I could be wrong when the team says we are with you. They're implicitly saying, and if it fails, this is on all of us. Right. Yes. Even if I disagreed true. with that in the beginning, that's right. what disagree and commit means. Yep.
1: Yep. yep. Yeah. I'm not going to use this against you that's as a right. weapon in the future. That's right. Yep. I think that's, that's right. really well said as well. That's right. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground on this topic. Um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate kind of coming back to this point that, um, listen, there are some great approaches to doing planning out there. There are some tried and true methodologies. We're not trying to say anything disparaging about those approaches out there. I think what we're just hoping um, folks listening to this will do is re- recognize that um, you can have the best possible framework out there and still not necessarily get the kind of results that you want if you're not tending to these kinds of um, container, what we've been calling container elements uh, of the team. And hopefully those two things coming together can be a pretty uh, powerful recipe for some, some great, some great, and maybe even enjoyable planning sessions.
0: That's right. Enjoyable and furthering in the development of the total team. You know, there's an old phrase in Buddhism we have, which is everything is workable even Mm -hmm. the disagreements. So Mm -hmm. use that to grow the team so that you're growing leaders every step of the way.
1: Mm. Yep. And it's not always fun, this process, (laughs) but it sure can be. Yeah. When, and even the difficult times, uh, if if we're doing it in this way, it can be pretty invigorating to be a part of a team that's moving through that process. Well, thanks, Jerry. I imagine we might come back together and talk about some more aspects of this process, but I really appreciate this conversation and um, we'll talk again soon. We will indeed. Take care. If
0: you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcasts to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And... Leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show, just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up, so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening.
1: How long till my soul gets it right?
2: Are you looking to accelerate growth for the leaders and managers in your organization? Create a container of safety, inquiry, and accountability from which important insights, innovations, and solutions can emerge with Reboot Circles for management teams. Led by a Reboot Coach, these peer circles are designed to support leaders' growth and development through action-based learning using real-life challenges. Group sessions involve a mix of coaching exercises, guided journaling, facilitated group exploration, and time to process pressing issues and concerns. The facilitator holds the space, prompts the dialogue, and models the behavior of effective coaching. Circles for Management teams enable rapid learning, teach fundamental coaching skills, and help build internal resiliency among teams so that your company can scale more efficiently. Learn more about how Reroot Circles for Management teams can support the professional development of leaders and managers in your organization at reboot.io slash circles for teams.